Guys, come on down. We got to start sooner or later. But we at J-Road like an extended intermission time. One of you guys up there, can you turn up the lights a little bit, please? I know you... Thank you. I just don't want anybody falling asleep on me, all right? But we like the extended uh, intermission time because that's one of the only times that we could talk to people because we're getting here in a rush, we're leaving in a rush, and this is a time where we could really just be the church and talk. So um, we are continuing our series through the book of 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, you could open up to the book of 1 Timothy, or if you have a smartphone, you could open up to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're going to start. We're going to read today. I'll, I'll fill you in because I'm going to try to pack in a lot into a little bit of time. So just bear with me. Take notes if you want. And if I don't get through it, I'll just stop because we do have communion. Uh, Elder Tom Zeller, if that's his official title. Um, <laughs> Elder Tom Zeller is coming forward to lead communion today at the end. So um, I want to give you enough time for that as well. But we are going to read the end of 1 Timothy chapter 3 in the whole of 1 Timothy chapter 4, okay? Um, and we talked about the church, and today's passage is a lot about the church. What is the church? What do we do as a church? Who we are as a church? And, and here's one of the things. If you talk to a lot of Christians, have you, oh, I should ask a question. Have you ever talked to a, a Christians, and they just feel like, why do I really need church? I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I read my Bible. Why do I need church? And so, the, this, um, this thing that God created, known as church, gets diminished, and I think it's partly because we're looking at church through a human lens. We think of church as a human institution. You know, like, you know, it looks like it's, it's human-led, human uh, le leaders, there's human people leading worship, and all of these things, we look at it through a human lens. You know, this is kind of the church Jim and Brian put together, uh, Port City is a church that Pastor Steve put together, and then, like, we look at it as through a human lens, and when we put church through a human lens, it cheapens what Jesus said to Peter, where he said, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. You guys follow me? So church isn't a man-made institution. It's not something that man came up with. The church is created by God for his purpose of spreading the gospel across the whole world. And that's kind of what today's passage is about, is about the church. So um, this, this, what we're going to look at today is broken up into two parts. The first is who we are as a church, and the second is what we do. Who we are and what we do. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 is where we're going to start. 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16. So um, the author of 1 Timothy is who? Paul. And he's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor at a church in Ephesus. Okay? And so he's, this is what Paul says in verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing these instructions so that if I am delayed you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. 
Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, talking about Jesus. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed in the world, and was taken up in glory. So this, this end of chapter 3 is the beginning of chapter 4, where he's talking about what is the church. And so here you can kind of see, um, you will all to know how to conduct yourselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. The pillar and foundation of all truth is, is the church, okay? And so how to, the one verse I like is um, in verse 15, it says how to conduct yourselves in God's household. If you're like me, and you might have heard this before, but have you ever seen like a mom in church and her two boys are roughhousing and running down the hallways, and they say, hey, stop that. You're in, yeah, thank you. You're in God's house. Like, hey, we don't act like that in God's house. And uh, that's sort of when we read that, we could be tempted to think that. And, and yes, even though the church is paid for by generous donations, and it's, this is all belongs to God, um, this really isn't God's house any more than your homes are God's house. Does that make sense? Like, what it does is you start at a young age compartmentalizing your life into Christian and non-Christian. You know, like when we're here at J-Road, we have to act a certain way because we're in where? We're in God's house. But when we're at home, it's a different story. <laughs> when we're out in the garage at our house, that's even a more different story. And when we're at the homestead, that's a whole different story, right? Like, but if you look at every place that you are, as believers in Jesus Christ, as God's house, it brings a different dynamic to your thought process, right? And so you're saying, hey, don't do this, we're in God's house. You know, wait till we get home. That's, that's just like, we, we think that, but it's not how we should think. Um, that's not what he's saying. He's not talking about God dwelling here. Um, this passage has a much deeper meaning. When he says, this is how you are to conduct yourself in God's household, the church of the living God, He's talking about the church, big C, all the church. This is how you're to conduct yourselves when you gather together. And when you gather together, that's God's house. That's God's household. That is the church. And so he's trying to tell them when you, when you meet together, this is how you're to operate. Um, and so God's household has really two implications. The first is this. Um, we are God's children. We are God's children. If I said, you know, like really what my, like the word God's household, it means, it means if you look at the original Greek, it's oikos, which is kind of like the yogurt, but it really means like the dwelling place of God. It really means God's home. And when you really think about, if I were to tell you about my home in my house, I would probably describe it in the context of my family, not necessarily my house in Norton Shores. Does that make sense? Because really, no matter where my wife and my three boys are, that is home. Amen? Like, that's kind of how you guys feel, too. Like, if, when you're together as a family, it doesn't matter if you're in your house. Like, your house is just a place. It's a place. It could change. Like, we moved a number of times in our life. When, and when we're on vacation at an Airbnb, we are home because we are together. And so when he says, this is God's household, he's saying, you believers in Jesus Christ, you are God's children, you are God's family, you are God's home. 
And it's a very, very uh, deeper meaning that we are God's children. And so when we sing that song, which I absolutely love, I am a child of God, it's something that we need to constantly be reminding ourselves. We are God's children. God loves us more than your parents loved you or love you. God loves you as much as a mother loves a child, as much as a father loves a child. We are adopted into his family, which means that when you're a believer, you have an inheritance called heaven, and we are adopted in his family, and these things are good. So we are God's children. The second implication of God's household is we are God's dwelling place. We are God's dwelling place. So the one is more metaphorical, like we are God's children. The other one is we are actually the place where God dwells. Now, you may be saying, isn't God omnipresent? Absolutely. The Bible says you can't escape God's presence. It's everywhere. But in the heart of a believer is where the Holy Spirit lives upon salvation. So when you become saved and put your trust in Jesus, you receive the very presence of God, which is known as the Holy Spirit, living inside of you. Very important to realize. Very important. Um, so mo- in the Old Testament, they didn't have, like the Holy Spirit didn't dwell inside the believers. The Holy Spirit dwelt in locations. If you guys remember, if you read Moses, he built uh, t- the tabernacle, and Moses got all the instructions to build the tabernacle. And the Lord said, um, they are to build a sanctuary uh, for me that I might dwell among them. So God dwelled in the tabernacle. And specifically, where the Ark of the Covenant was, behind the Holy of Holies, that's where God dwelt. And then Solomon, at one point, he built the temple for God, and the temple is where God's presence lived, inside the temple. Um, And after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, what happened the moment Jesus was crucified? Do you guys remember? The curtain tore. So in the temple, where God's presence resided, It was behind the veil, and if you remember, the moment Jesus was crucified, the veil was torn from top to bottom, meaning that the Spirit of God is no longer confined to a place. Because Jesus died and was resurrected, he said, I'm going to send my helper, and my Spirit's going to live among the people. Think about that. When you become saved, God's Spirit actually indwells you and fills you. So we actually have the Holy Spirit, which is also called the Comforter, the Counselor, the guide. The uh, Greek term is paraclete, which is helper. And so this Holy Spirit living inside of you is with you all the time. Like you're never alone when you have the presence of God inside of you. And it's super, super important. Um, In that verse, I think uh, in John 14, 23, it says this. Anyone, Jesus is talking here. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So he's foretelling that when I leave, you guys as Christians, our believers in me, are going to get a special blessing. So there's a time when Jesus resurrected, there was a small pause, and then on the day of Pentecost, the church was gathering, waiting for something, and the Holy Spirit came down, everybody started speaking in tongues, Everybody else outsiders thought they were drunk, you know, and they said, we're not drunk. It's only like two in the afternoon. You know, we can't be. And, and that's when the moment in time changed to the Holy Spirit is now living inside of his people. 
It's so, so important. Um, and the other part of it is, it's saying like Solomon built a temple, and he's saying that there's no need for a temple anymore for God's presence to dwell. Because look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that what? Your bodies, your physical bodies, um, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from the gift of God. Now that we are walking temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's living inside of us. And so this is um, really important. Um, when you put your faith in Jesus, God lives inside of you. It's a, it's a moment that happens in salvation. So when reading this, if your heart doesn't leap for joy, and maybe you maybe it could be for a couple reasons. Maybe you've heard this so many times, you're like, I know, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. You know, I get it. Number one, if that is our response, it's usually because we've become so used to what it feels like for the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, we forget. Now, what do I mean by forget? I think we forget what it was like before we accepted Christ in the things we felt, the things we longed for, the hurts, the brokenness, the loneliness. All of those things I think we've become used to because think about this. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Moses never had that. Think about that. David, who is a man after God's own heart, would have loved to have experienced the Spirit of God living inside of him. And Moses, David, you know, they've never experienced that. It wasn't until after Jesus resurrected that we get to walk around with the Holy Spirit inside of us. What does that look like? Overcome with peace when times are chaotic. Not knowing the words to say, and God gives us the words to say. And when we start trusting in the Holy Spirit, we'll get those. Think about the loneliness we felt before Christ. Now we know God is living inside of us. And so we have an obligation. You know, and if, in a few verses later, it says, train yourself spiritually. Like, train your spirit. That's why we fast, to be more in tune with the Holy Spirit. That's why we read his word, because the word um, testifies to the spirit, and the spirit testifies to the word. That's why when we read God's word, I believe before we're Christians, when we read it, it doesn't always make sense. And then when we read God's word, after salvation, it starts to make sense. God lives inside of us. And so, remember back, if you can, remember back to the place you were before you accepted Christ. What did you struggle with? And you might be saying, well, I've been a Christian since I've been a baby. That may be true, but there is a time in your life where you fully surrendered your life to Jesus. And think about the time before that. What was your life like? Maybe you were living for yourself. Maybe you were so filled with pain, all you could do is drink and do drugs and do whatever you can to numb the pain. Maybe you felt so lost, so alone. And now that you're filled with the Spirit, it doesn't feel that way. And it's like taking ourselves back. The Holy Spirit also convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. When you are doing something that you ought not to do, that feeling in your heart that's like, I really shouldn't be doing this, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells you when to do something good. If you are, if you are looking like, hey, this person may need help, I want to help them, you're feeling this nudge to help them, you think, that's just a good thought in my brain. 
if it's a good thought, it's the Holy Spirit telling you to do it. You know, every good and perfect thing comes from God the Father, and so we should listen to those urgings. It's the Holy Spirit pushing us. We have God living inside of us. And so um, that should bring us a lot of excitement. Um, And so it's not only individually, but it's collectively when the church gathers. Okay? Now this is like a mystery, but when the church gathers together, we are each, for those of us that are believers, we are each individually temples of the Holy Spirit. And when we gather together, we become a collection of temples and God's presence dwells among us in a special way. Um, very exciting. So look at what it says in Matthew 18, 20. It says, um, in, it says this, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And so when we talk about the church, when you talk about the church, it's like, how many do you need to have to be considered a church? You know, I believe two or three. <laughs> Where two or more gather in my name, there I am with them. So when you're meeting your missional community, when you're, miss- when you're meeting here, and then in Ephesians 2.22 says, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives in you. So we are the sanctuary of the living God. When we gather, it's incredibly important. When we come together to pray, it's super important. When we get in groups like we did last Sunday and pray, it's important. When we get together to worship, we are entering the very presence of God because God's Spirit dwells when Christians gather in this place. And so it makes a big difference, and listen to me, when it makes a big difference when we think about what makes an awesome worship service. We've talked about this before, right? When somebody says, you know, that church has awesome worship. We oftentimes think about it through like a human lens. What do they mean? It's like the sound was top-notch speakers. The lights like shined in just the right way. You know, like the smoke and fog came out at the right time. Like it was great worship. And oftentimes when we think of great worship, we think of things that please humans. But when we gather together to worship, we should only think about things that please God. Like, right? Like when we think about what what pleases God, a surrendered heart, right? So a surrendered heart pleases God. Prayer pleases God. Like, we, like Fern talked about, when we're standing here and raise our hands, that pleases God. When, we, when we're praying, when we're, we're worshiping in our hearts, in really meaning the words, that pleases God. So when we think about amazing worship, it's usually not what's happening here or on these lights or in the tech booth, even though they have a very important job. When they talk about amazing worship, it's when the people of God are truly worshiping God in their hearts, right? And that's why, like, man, this, when somebody were to say, this place is amazing worship, I'm going to think about everybody there is surrendered to God, meaning what they're singing and not just receiving the words from the team. That makes sense? And that's amazing worship. So when we gather together, we shouldn't think about what's going to be a wow factor for the people who come. It's really what's going to be a wow factor for God. What's God going to say, yes, I love this. And so, like, that's good. I think Christians in Muskegon are craving authentic and true worship, right? Like, we, we, don't, we could have a show. We could put on the most amazing show in the world. But if the people's hearts aren't worshiping God, it's not making the one it's for happy. It's just like, it's like, great, we entertained a bunch of people. You know what? I can get tickets and go to Detroit and watch a show. I could go watch Taylor Swift, if that's your jam. 
And we can't compete with that wow factor. But we're not here to please the people. We're here to please God. And I think if churches think we have to do, make a wow factor for people that they'll come, they're missing the point. We have to bring a wow factor to the Lord who the service is for, and Christians who are filled with the Spirit will come and be like, yes, authentic worship. People's hearts are surrendered to God. I want to be a part of this body. And, that's, and I, think, I think we're desperate for that. I think it exists, but I think we're desperate for that. And so when we gather together, it's not about, it's not about entertaining the people. It's about God's Spirit's coming to dwell here because we're all collectively filled with the Spirit in here. We have to think about what pleases Him. So if that's praying together in groups, that's awesome. If that's people coming forward for confession, that's awesome. If that's kneeling at the altar, that's great. What pleases God is what we need to think about. Um, so um, I'm going to read this next passage, and then I'm going I'm to stop, and I'll pick up in two weeks because Brian's doing chapter 5. We'll go to chapter 5 next week with Brian, then I'll come back to me the week after. Amen. But this is important. I don't want to rush through this. I've been in the habit of doing that where I just rush through it, and I'm like speed talking, and I don't want to do that. So I'm going to read this next part, and we'll chew on it till for a couple weeks. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, the beginning of, uh, if you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. It says this. Um, actually, next, before that. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Okay, no biggie. Um, if you guys have your Bibles or your phones, look at those. And everybody bring your Bibles next time. In case such things happen. Okay, I'll let you guys get to it. I thought you had it. Okay, there you go. Okay. Um, so Paul goes on to say this. And this is, first is who we are, and this is what we do. Okay? Uh, we detect error in the church. Okay? It's one of the things we do. It says this. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Okay? That might be a little heavy for a Sunday morning, but it's important. Deceiving spirits and demons. Okay? Um, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose, conscious, whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. And this is what they're teaching. They forbid people to marry and, to order them, and they order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving for those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is, because it is consecrated by the word of God and by prayer. So this passage here is broken up into two parts. It's saying, watch out for this thing, and here is what specifically they were teaching Ephesus. The universal truth, as we've been talking about, is the first part. The, con the contextual truth, which is really for Ephesus in the year 80 or 70 or 80 AD, is the second part, um, what they were teaching. But here's the universal truth. The, in latter times, People will lead people astray with false teaching by deceiving spirits and demons. Okay? Um, and this is important. What does it mean by latter times? It doesn't mean end times. What he means here for latter times is this time we're in between Christ's resurrection and Christ's return is all latter times. In the latter days, which we're in right now, there will be people that come in the church 
to teach things influenced by demons. And so we as a church body need to detect error, point it out, lovingly bring it up. Um, And he's saying some will abandon the faith, some will abandon the faith and walk away because of this. Um, And so here's what I'll leave you with. Um, I think this next slide, it talks about spiritual warfare. Um, Here's the thing I want you guys, I'll leave you with today, and then we'll finish the rest later. Spiritual warfare is a very real thing. It's not, um, it's not something that, you know, it's not something we take tritely, it's something we take seriously, but it's not something we're afraid of either. And here, I'll, I'll show you a couple key verses. If you want to take a picture, or write it down, but Ephesians six twelve says, um, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So he's saying our struggle isn't necessarily just going to be with flesh and blood. It's going to be against this unseen realm. And so wherever we are, there's always going to be this unseen realm, which the Bible talks about. There's angels that we can't see that are around us, and there's demons that we can't see that are around us. And demons have a way to influence our minds and our lives. And so when these people teach things taught by deceiving spirits or demons, it's a very real thing. And so where do they come from? I don't know. I'll see one that I hear a lot is the deceiving spirits and the demons that teach wrong things typically come from people who follow a new teacher on YouTube or TikTok or Facebook because I'm like, man, where did you hear that teaching? It doesn't really like resonate with my spirit. It's not in the Word of God. Where did you hear it? you got to watch this YouTube video. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'll watch the YouTube video. I'll see it's an hour and a half long. I'm not going to watch an hour and a half long video of error, but I'll kind of skim through it and see. And it's this guy who has this new teaching about something with the stars and everything. And it's like, you got to believe this. And it's like, if it doesn't align with the Word of God, we got to be very cautious because what you could believe in is actually influenced by demons. And so if you ever hear a new teaching that does not equate to the Word of God, that's, um, that doesn't line up with the Word of God, it just, it's more serious than error. It's a calculated attack by the devil trying to influence the church and get us to believe things that aren't true. And so um, the thing I'll end with is we can't let it scare us. Like, ah, oh, there's a demon behind every bush. There's a demon under my bed. It's going to grab my leg when I get up. It's not what it's talking about. There's, gonna, there's been demons around us our entire life. But what the thing of it is, is back to the Holy Spirit living inside of us, in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than is in the world. So we already have the victor living inside of us. Amen. And Ephesians six ten says this. This is, the, this is the antidote for being victorious in all spiritual warfare. And if you want to take notes, you could read again the rest of Ephesians 6. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You're not supposed to stand in your mighty power because we don't have much power. We stand strong in the Lord's power. You know, be in his word, pray to him, stay close to God, and we will be able to withstand all the schemes of the devil. And on top of that, put on the full armor of God, which I'd love to explain to you more. It's in Ephesians 6. Read it for yourselves and what it means for us to put on the full armor of God every day because Satan is going to try to bring you down every day. He has an army with him, 
and he's going after us. It's not supposed to scare us. It's made for us to stay close to the Lord. Let me pray. God, I love you, and uh, man, your word is so good. It's so rich. And God, I pray that we take your words, place them in our heart. God, we wake up each morning and, and long to know your word. We, we get in it. We listen to your word. We pray to you, God, and stay close to you every day. We just thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.